Have you discovered yet that life gets harder? With every stage and with every season of life. All along the way, at every stage, we're tempted to give up. Babies come into the world screaming, and they never quit. Teenagers wonder what their life will be like, and without mocking that at all, that's the only life they know. Singles have a favorite verse. It is not good that man should be alone. They have an urge to merge. They want somebody to share their life with. And that dream maker sometimes becomes a nightmare for 50% of the people who marry. And another 50% may be just hanging on for life, hoping that things will change. And then children come along. Who are they, we wonder? They are ours. Behold, children are the heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. I got in a hurry the other day and I said, The fruit of the loom is His reward. Oh, my soul. I was so close to being right. And then in old age, like myself, I now have conversations by committee. I start the conversation, my wife adds to it, her friend adds to it, and, and we all together get the right information. Our minds are like the Bermuda Triangle. Things go in it but never come out of it. Sadly, what happens, because life is always difficult, that people sometimes do tragic things. People commit suicide. I could bore you with statistics, but one suicide is too many. Sometimes people don't commit suicide. They just withdraw from life. They've been burned once, but they're not going to be burned again. And then other people who survive difficult times just live a life of cynicism. They're critical about everything that goes on. One guy was asked how he was feeling. He said, uh, I'm feeling better, but I'm not getting my hopes up. It's the life I'm talking about. If anybody could have had a perpetual case of fatal discouragement, it should have been Paul the Apostle. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And think about what he was going through in life. This is the great Apostle Paul. The Corinthian church that he's now writing to for the second time was a mess. They were divided over personalities. They were carnal in their behavior. Their immorality had been inexcusable. They had doctrine that was not square with the Bible. And other than that, he was having a great ministry. None of us would have blamed Paul if he had just 
walked away and never said another word to these dear people. Good riddance is sometimes our attitude. But look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy, we faint not. Look over in verse 16. For this cause we faint not. God's ministry is a huge responsibility and it can be overwhelming at times. We've received this ministry by God's mercy. And we're called by God to minister people who personally and in their homes and in, their, in our churches and in our communities and at our offices and at our place of His employment, wherever we may be. We're to be a light shining in a dark world, but we're all tempted to faint. Now that's not talking about getting lightheaded and becoming dizzy and passing out. This is a word that means to lose heart, to be overcome by discouragement, to cave in spiritually, to give up. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary. That's the same word here. We celebrate a guy like Paul in the Bible You go, Paul. You're our man. If anybody can do it, you can. We look at all of his successes, Bible books we have in our Bible, and the churches all over the known world. And yet Paul had struggles in his life. Struggles in his life. There's a hymn that we sing often in our churches that I want to make a correction on. I want to just uh, say, no, no. It's a great, great hymn other than one word. Have we trials and temptations? Get a number, man, yeah. Have we trials and temptation? Is there trouble anywhere? Anywhere, everywhere. Here's the word, though. We should never be discouraged. I want to change that to stay. Discouragement is a part of our life and sometimes we feel overwhelmed by it because we want to we want to we want to give up. We're frail people. Look at what it says in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Oh the best of us are so weak. So weak. We're we're earthen vessels. That's just a common clay pot with this priceless treasure of the life of God within. The Bible says God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Some of us are more dusty than others. We all face ongoing and never-ending trouble. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8. We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. None of us are permitted to choose. 
Oh, I'll take a little bit of trouble, but I don't want any perplexity. Okay, persecution, okay, but I don't want any being cast down. It amazes me that there are preachers other than in our circle that preach that if you are a faithful child of God, you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. They are liars. That's not square with the Bible. The Bible says that if you're a child of God, you're not likely to have trouble. You are sure to have trouble. There will be heartbreaking moments in your life. Faithful, obedient Christians get cancer. They lose their jobs. They have financial reversals. They go through divorces. They have rebellious children. They get Alzheimer's. They have strokes. Oh, yes. They and their loved ones die. Death is a part of the Christian's reality. Verses 10 through 12 says, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal bodies. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have this great contrast of of knowing what real life is, and yet every day we face the potential and the pains of death, of death. Let me just go ahead and read the passage. Verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith. Paul is saying, in common with you Corinthians, according as it is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present uh, present us with you. And all things are for your sakes that the Abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. In the the passage that follows this, there are four contrasts that I want to preach about today. And these four contrasts will help us to get through the hard times. What's going to get us through? I don't want to marginalize that idea because... Some of life is surviving more than succeeding. Come on, help me out today. Old preachers like amens too. How are we going to get through? How can, we, how can we get through this season of life? How can we get through this circumstance of life? Well, Paul's going to give us in the writings that follow these four contrasts. Look at, let's look at the first. He says in verse 16 now, For which cause we faint not, we're not going to give up. Look. But though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Now what that means is, we live in a dying body. The outward man perishes. Now some of us are more perishable. We are near that moment of ultimate death, but in the midst of ultimate death, we are all 
all, all dying. We're born to die. We come from the dust, we go back to dust, we're dusty along the way. Every day we work up, we wake up with new pain, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. Amen. <laughs> Just a real struggle. As hard as people work at it, they, they eat right, they, they sleep right, they, they exercise right, and they die. Hey, I've told people around my house, if you ever see me out running, call the police, somebody's chasing me. <laughs> I ain't doing that on purpose. Makes me breathe hard. Makes my legs hurt. I get most of my exercise being pallbearers for my jogger buddies. <laughs> the outward man perishes. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way. If you're, if you're one of those kind of people, well, just I'll give you my check-in number 24 hour and it'll, it'll be like me being there. Somebody told me to get on the treadmill. I was doing fine for a couple weeks and some fool turned it on. Th <laughs> threw me back into last week. Hey, at the end of day, at the end of the day, death wins. Aging is visible, it's irreversible, it's universal. A hundred percent of people participate. Now I wanted to come in today and look a little younger. I thought about spiking my hair. Obviously, that did work. When my granddaughter, who's a, I hate to say this, she's a sophomore at OU. Yeah, really. Years ago, she said, Papa, you've got a happy face in the back of your head. I told her, I'm happy going or coming. Hey, I, I couldn't spike my hair, so I thought I'd get a tattoo. That's kind of one of those new things you do. I looked on my body, and there wasn't an unwrinkled place on it. They couldn't do one. They rejected me. I'm just going with those dark aging spots. I've got a few of those if you want to look at those and be a, you know, kind of admire those. They have cream for that now. I could be the invisible man. Whoa. Oh, hey, listen, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. What a wonderful thing it is to know Christ. And there's a sense that we are, we are ageless. God's mercy is new every morning. Every day we awake and we see a, another expression of God working in our life and in our family and in our church and it renews our soul. That soul is that inward part of you that will live beyond this life. It doesn't need a body. You're, you're not a, a body that has a soul. You're a soul that has a body. Jesus said, don't fear those who can destroy the body. Fear him that has, can destroy both soul and body in hell. you got a soul. And if you're a child of God, Paul says, Oh my, a man with great experience. 
Oh, my, my outward man is, is perishing. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. I'm now living in the fourth stage of a five-stage life. My first stage was a young whippersnapper. And you know now my whippers done snapped, amen? <laughs> and uh, then I was in that middle age crazy. Crazy runs in my family. I never went out, knew when I got in it never knew when I got out of it. And then I was over the hill. That's third stage, over the hill. If you're happy and you know it, stay in bed. That's our favorite song. <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, stay in bed. If you get up, you'll surely blow it. If you're happy and you know it, stay in bed. That's, that's middle. I'm, I'm in the fourth stage right now. It's you're looking good. That's code for I'm surprised you're still alive. And then the final one, which is yet to happen, doesn't he look natural? <laughs> What's up with that? Since when does a guy laying out in a linen-covered box with makeup on look natural? <laughs> Come on. Hey, Dr. Ed Dobson, who was one of Jerry Falwell's right-hand men for several times, had a lot in major, um, uh, moral majority, he, uh, 15 years, suffered with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he chronicled his demise. Great Christian man. Look at what he says. He said, every human being knows they're going to die. Early in my life, I thought I was in control. And the truth is, I don't control squat. That's not about how long I have left. It's about how I spend the time I have. We just need some reality check. I, I'm, I think as a Christian, we are the ultimate optimist. The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto a perfect day. Here's the application. You and I need to repent of giving more attention to our bodies than we do to our souls. And I'm not, I'm not judging nor I'm, I'm condemning those who are athletic. I, I was at one time very athletic. I'm surprised you didn't mention the fact that I was a, an all-conference point guard in basketball for the Lake Worth Bullfrogs. <laughs> or the starting right fielder and leadoff batter for our regional state championship baseball team. Pretty disappointed in your lack of knowledge. <laughs> Contrast one, while the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. Con Contrast number two, look at it at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Presently, yeah, we suffer. But ultimately, we will enjoy glory. Now for you digitally minded generation, let me tell you what this is about. 
This is about a scale. Paul had in mind a scale. If you, how many, how many know what that scale looks like? You've actually done business with it. Hold your hand up. Yeah, some of you old people. You know who you are. Look at your driver's license. Come on. You know, you put a one-pound weight on one side and you got one pound of chicken fried steak uncooked. And, and Paul is saying on one side of the scale is suffering and on one side of the scale is glory. But he said in the end... There'll be more glory than there is suffering. Oh. Think about it. What, what is Paul saying? He says in verse 17, For this light affliction. Read chapter 11. It'll blow your mind what Paul went through as a believer in Christ. Shipwreck, stone, you know, no, different kind. Uh, I mean, he went through all kinds of things. But he said, it's just light. And it's just for a moment. Whatever suffering you're going through, it will be light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. Isn't that encouraging? Kind of like, can I get through the day if I know on the other end of it, this is really going to be good? I mean, it's not going to be like Disneyland where you have to pay for everything. Already been paid for. It's included in the debt reduction probe that God has. Your debt's been canceled, and now you get to go live with Him. <laughs> Isn't that good? The glory is going to be so wonderful. It's beyond anything. And, and, and look, you missed a word there. I didn't point it out to you. We now have this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh. Oh, that's the problem. I'm not into that. I want to get there before you have to get there. I want God to do it now when he says it's just got to work a little bit. There are things that's going to have to happen in our lives to get us to that place. It worketh a more exceeding weight of glory. Now think about it. If, if, God, if, if God drained the oceans and then he took all the mountain ranges and filled up the hole that the ocean drain created and then he had one single bird that he commissioned to go down and to remove all those mountains and put them back in their place, and then filled up the ocean again with water, each one of those grains that that bird took out would count for nothing compared to eternity. The job would be endless, 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 endless. And God says, it's not to be compared. Do you realize what's on the other side? Now, there are two ways to look at this. I, I think one way is the more you suffer, the more you anticipate glory. Amen? The more heartache you have in this life, the more you long for a life without heartache. That, that's one of the applications. The other application is those who really suffer in this life are going to get a lot of glory in the next life. You know, heaven isn't going to be the same for everybody. 
There will be degrees of glory that people will experience. I don't think I'm going to be compared to a martyr. I mean, you know, what a, oh, well, I got out in the rain one day to come to church. What did you do? Well, they beheaded me. Whoa. A little more glory there. You understand what I'm saying? The contrast, how do you get through? How, how do I make it? I understand that while I have these afflictions, they are light and for a moment compared to the ultimate glory that God is going to give those who know Christ. Oh. Uh, here's a couple of applications. Well, first of all, Romans 8.18 Romans 8, 18 says, For I reckon, don't you like that little Texas phrase? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's the first application. We shouldn't compare our lives with other people. Some people have great afflictions. I feel like that God's given me such a pass in life. My, my life is, my wife, is so pleased about being married to me. She's so happy. I, I'm, I'm teasing. I know that... I, I see guys, though, that who are married to miserable ladies. It's like, oh, wouldn't you be like to be married to her? Ugh, critical and hateful and demanding. I'm so blessed. I've got good Christian children. My son's a pastor of a Baptist church, and my oldest grandson, 21, has surrendered his life for ministry, preaching and leading music in the church. I got a great daughter, married to a Christian man, and my grandson's a football player. If you don't have time for that, I got time for it. He's leading. He, he played the guitar today in the music team in our church at home. God broke my heart about that the other day. He's playing behind some guys for the first time in his career. And I think he's good enough to be better than them, but he, he's a junior and they're a senior. And that's kind of how it works, right? I got to complaining about that. And God kind of nudged me and said, shut up. You already got your prize up here. If he never does anything athletically, if he keeps serving God until Jesus comes, that'll be fine. God kind of God shut down my comparing. And, and then also, we, we don't need to be complaining. I love this cartoon. Church people getting on this guy for preaching the book of Numbers. He said, 36 chapters of self-centered people who whine about everything that, uh, they, don't want, they, that, that, they, that they don't get their way. What relevance is that? <laughs> you know, sometimes preaching the Bible is pretty direct because we're complainers. We don't like our tough life. So quit complaining. Just quit complaining. There's a third contrast in verse 18. While we look not for the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, 
For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Um, Obviously what it says is don't put your focus on things that are temporal. I like this next slide. I, <laughs> kind of somebody's favorite car at one time. Really, the way, the way that we can get a real focus on life is go to the dump ground every now and then. Every computer that was at one time the thing to get, every iPhone, iPhone number one, it's going to go to the junk heap. Everything you see It's temporal. But the things that are unseen are eternal. The things that you've never never seen physically beyond this earth, there's a world to come that Paul says, we need to get our eyes off of temporal. Now, that's that's how we live. That's where we live. But look at this next little graph here. I I, I think it's up next. We live in time, but we live for the next world. You've got to live in this world, but this is not what you live for. We, live, we have an eternal purpose. Guys, you shouldn't have to introduce yourself to your family. Some of you guys are working so hard and trying to climb the ladder. What you'll find is... It's leaning, up, it's leaning up against the wrong building. Nothing wrong with making a living, but God wants you to be a husband. He wants you to be a father. You're, you're putting too much emphasis on the temporal things and not the eternal things. C.S. Lewis made this remark. He said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelists who abolished slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to Think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. (laughs) What would he say today? That's 70 years ago. Now there's a fourth contrast. Let me point out to you real quick. Maybe we'll get back to it tonight. In the fifth chapter, by the way, there's no division here in uh, this section. The the, uh, paragraph ends down in verse 8. Let me just quickly show it to you. Right now, verse 1 says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, he's talking about, let me go back to that other, the other deal if you can see that. If you can go back. There you go. Our, the, the earthly tabernacle, that's our body. That's what we live in now. We live in this foldable disposable, replaceable body. But one of these days, you're going to get an eternal house. Now that's not talking about the mansion that Jesus mentions in John 14. By the way, the modern translation calls that dwelling places. 
Now, if you don't know the difference between a dwelling place and a mansion in the King James Bible, I don't want you as my real estate agent. But that's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about the, the where we're going to live in heaven. It's talking about what we're going to live in in heaven. Our, our, our heavenly house is our glorified body. And throughout this passage, I just, I'm, let me just give you the highlights of it. He said in verse 1, we know. And he said uh, right now, because we're living in this uh, tent, he said we groan. And then he said in verse 8, we are confident, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wish I had more time to exposit that, but time will not allow me to do that. Have I helped you today to understand that there is something better than this life? And no matter how harsh or difficult this life may be for you now, if you know Christ, you're going to be happy. (laughs) It's going to be be so much better than anything you can imagine. I have not seen neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them who love Him. It's beyond your imagination. We have words for it. The Bible has inspired these words for us so that we will be encouraged to get through the troubles of this life so that we can get to the glory in the next life. Oh, now you don't have that. If you don't have Christ, you don't have that. If you've never bowed a knee to Christ and said an eternal yes to Him who came to die for your sins, to pay for your sin debt, to take over your life, if you haven't ever done that, your eternity is not that at all. As glorious as life is for believers in Christ, life for the unbeliever is indescribably bad. We invite you today to come receive our Savior. There will be people here who will take a Bible and show you for sure how that you can know Him and have Him in your life and have your sins forgiven. And for those of us who find ourselves from time to time in troublesome times, won't it be glorious there, having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing? Oh, won't it be wonderful there? Stand with me for prayer, please.